everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I apologize for leaving you hanging last week. At the very end of last week's episode, I had found out what was going on at the Capitol with the attempted coup. And uh, what I ended up doing is hopping off the episode, not editing it, and uploading it that day. Um, even though it's like, it's it's always an interesting thing of not knowing what content to publish when uh, there's so much going on in the world. And I feel like people use being an escape or a distraction as a cop out. Um, but I also acknowledge that I think they're needed. And this is kind of something I want to explore this week. But uh, part of, you know, where, where I see my role and where I see influencers role is that if I am not in a position or the timing doesn't work for me to adequately respond to something at the very least, I want to react and witness and acknowledge it with you. Uh, but I didn't mean to leave you hanging. My husband's fine. It was just a weird coincidence that he, I knew he happened to have a meeting in DC proper that day. Um, but he got out of the city by curfew and, and made it home eventually. And all was fine. And didn't, I really feel badly that that was like so abruptly ended. And I I didn't know a lot of information as I cut the episode off because obviously I wasn't going to keep blabbing about Pinterest when there were insurrectionists trying to overtake our capital and interfere with the democratic process of counting electoral votes. I mean, I know various things have happened at the Capitol, but like, as far as I understand, the last formal attempt to overtake the Capitol was the War of 1812. Guys, like, I, I don't mean to go start right out the gate here, but like, that was terrifying. That uh, people are not overreacting. People showed up to our nation's capital with guns, with spears, with zip ties, with explosives, uh, breaking glass, bringing a noose to the goddamn capital. Uh, people smeared their own feces. I, I, I mean, the list goes on. I, I legitimately tailspin when I think about. It is horrifying that there is a sector of people that identify as true American patriots, as loving this country and democracy, and the way that they legitimately thought that they should be supporting it and maintaining it is by subverting a constitutional process, by attacking an entire branch of government. Do you know the just the, the line of secession that, that was in there? Guys... I, th that is the begin, that, that is how Gilead was started in The Handmaid's Tale. And the disgusting, smug, entitled look on these people's faces, riddled with all of the arguments everyone's been trying to make this whole time about white supremacy and the disproportionate response of law enforcement relative to the protests earlier in 2020. And then the what about is and this happening? Well, it's like, well, if the left can do it, so can the right. That's not the same. People protesting because people, innocent people, are being killed because of the hundreds of years of being fed up with systemic racism is not the same as people protesting because they didn't get their way in an election. And I've replayed footage so many times from different angles, just trying to understand anybody who is downplaying this because I understand how frustrating frustrating it is to feel like uh, a, a cause and an organized 
largely peaceful effort is being misrepresented by bad actors, by opportunists. And I know most people on the political right don't condone this whatsoever and don't identify with the people that did it. However, the individuals that are featured in the media, that smug faces stealing government property and vandalizing the Capitol, like you, they're, they're traceable on social media. If you look any of these people up, they're very much fit the bill of the extremist conspiracy theorist uh, under the impression that they are an American hero and they like listen to Rogan and like are also flat earthers. Like if you, if you deep dive into some of these people, it's like they, they're exactly who you'd assume they are. And it's not, it's like, it's like, why, why is the, for, to, to not apply Occam's razor here, to not go to the simplest explanation, to always have to force an alternate or conspiratorial reasoning for something is a maddening reality we live in now where the truth doesn't seem to exist. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm like, are we all seeing the same thing? And can we all acknowledge it is not okay to try and overthrow your own government? Like, let's say it was intended to be peaceful and you're a Republican that wanted to go support your party. The second I got there, I'd be like, it's the noose for me. It's the Confederate flag for me. It's the Camp Auschwitz shirts for me. It's the uh, people that hawk slogans of Blue Lives Matter fist fighting police for me. It's the guns, the explosives, the spears. It's the domestic terrorism for me. I I would have gone nowhere near that if I hypothetically were a person that for some reason wanted to go support Trump that day. But there was a large enough volume of people that saw what was going on and contributed to it. That is not a simulation concocted by the media that we are all seeing with our eyes. And I just don't know why there would be any resistance to accept and acknowledge that it is wrong. It is, it's scary to me that anybody would be afraid to say it is wrong to attempt an attack on our nation's capital in the name of democracy. And it's terrifying to watch us pick apart the rhetoric of inciting the, the violence of the protests. I guess what frustrates me is... If you want to obsess over the semantics about the violence being deliberately encouraged is one thing, but it is there's no doubt in my mind that he had the baseline knowledge of what was planned and the violence that people were ready to incite and did not discourage it and did not stop it immediately. And it's one thing to have an extremist group that is in no way affiliated with or embraced by its broader party and attack. But it's a whole other thing to make the, the you know, to kind of argue that this is like an extremist situation that you in no way endorse, but also tell them they're special and you love them and do nothing to stop it immediately. On what planet are these like extremist movements endorsed by the president? On what planet is, are we arguing for the semantics of, did he deliberately discourage it or hint toward it? Like when you take a step back, are we really comfortable even having the conversation of, um, did he or didn't he, the president of the United States, incite a rebellion? The, the, that in and of itself is crazy. Because independent of your political affiliation, I think we can all agree, just based alone on the core function of the president, to 
execute and enforce the laws, if nothing else, I want to be clear on that he openly, consistently, clearly condemns the breaking of those laws, the overthrowing of the government in which he represents. And even if something was to be misinterpreted at the onset to swiftly put a stop to a rebellion. Yeah, per our broader discussion today, it's like, I'm fascinated that this is like being absorbed and processed from partisan angles. I It kind of, it's upsetting that we all, I just... It's like, I don't want, I, I don't think a call for unity supersedes that of accountability. And I think that we all can desire unity. And what I really desire unity across is an understanding that precedent's important, that when an unprecedented attack occurs, the, the government's response to it, the consequence of it sets a precedent for when this happens again. And I get a knee-jerk reaction being like impeaching him with two, two weeks left in his term. Like, is this worth it? Is this, and you know, I've seen people be like, this is so unnecessary and petty and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's, it really isn't about that. Maybe some people have all, you know, alternative agendas that really hate, I'm sure. But it, that's not the core of this is just to stick it to him. The core of this is a, a broader issue in the future of our republic I wrote down a quote that I read that I'm annoyed because I don't know where it came from, but I need to work on being better at work cited. I just wanted to be clear. These aren't my words because uh, I wanted to see what like a constitutional law expert would say. And one thing I read is it's setting a historical or political precedent that says when a president calls for his supporters to fight, when his personal attorney, Giuliani, <clears throat> said it's a setting a historical or political precedent that says when a president calls for his supporters to fight, when his personal attorney calls for his supporters to engage in trial by combat, and then that's exactly what happens. Impeaching him sends the message that this is absolutely not accepted and is inconsistent with an executive's role in taking care that the laws be faithfully executed. And that's the last thing I'll say is like, I, too, am exhausted of the divisiveness. I desperately want unity. I desperately want to repair and move on and figure out a way to operate that isn't so deeply, inflexibly bipartisan and accusatory. But unity doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable in an effort to keep the peace Unity means we align on the basic tenets of our democracy. One of those is the importance of establishing precedent when an unprecedented event happens. And that regardless of the duration of his term, the matter at hand is it, it, it's not is this relevant, important or punishable given the remaining duration of his term is that this is relevant, important, and punishable regardless of the timing, regardless of the duration of your term. And it's like, in my head, it's just so simple. We acknowledge it's wrong to overthrow our government. Most of us acknowledge that this should have been proactively discouraged and swiftly and harshly responded to, proportionate to how other protests and riots have been. 
But the whole thing from A to Z was so poorly handled and so deliberately not avoided that I want our unity to be on and that our elected officials going forward are crystal clear on their role in thwarting comparable efforts going forward. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I will move on. But I kind of I bring this up because of some, the broader topic at hand that I hope you'll allow me to kind of muse about to, to talk about what I think happens in certain cases with the way influencers respond to these things while acknowledging that me stating their existence doesn't mean I endorse them. I just wanted to see if like, yeah, today I could kind of ramble through this and not be terrified that I'll be misunderstood or misconstrued or condescending or alienating. And I firsthand will tell you, I understand the mental health implications of a 24-7 feedback loop. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. It doesn't mean I don't feel a responsibility to incur that risk at times. But I acknowledge why people shy away from politics, especially being on the receiving end of so much of the harshness of social media. And I'm not saying this is right, but I am acknowledging that I think it's a human response <laughs> to shut down a bit, to put your guard up, and to act in a way that prevents you from getting hurt. But the, the, the thing about that I think many people have to learn firsthand or learn the hard way about having a public platform is that there are times when it's your responsibility to prioritize the best interest of your stakeholders, constituents, followers, listeners, readers over the personal implications on you because the, uh, the potential impact delivered to them far exceeds the potential implications on you, one singular person, right? And even though I'll, I could literally talk about this forever, and I'm sure it'll be rambling and convoluted at times, but as a person with followers, with listeners, with stakeholders, I, I, it is my responsibility if I'm in the business of monetizing human people's interest, that I act in their best interest when issues of humanity arise. In 2021, influencers cannot monetize social media and think they are exempt from social responsibility. It's literally the same word. And if my livelihood is based off of you caring about what I'm doing, I sure as hell better make sure that you know that I care about you. Nothing is more confusing to me than when people talk shit about their own fans and followers and people seem to resent their own popularity. When people are comfortable saying, I know most of you care about this thing that deeply affects you, but it doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to acknowledge it. Uh, I just want to walk through... Uh, kind of what I'm seeing of the broader conversation of influencers reaction when I think about it and we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but we talk about influencers a lot on this podcast. And uh, last year I did a three-part series of influencers in the time of COVID-19 and okay. Like it was kind of new territory. Like what is your responsibility in a public health crisis and how you, how your decisions potentially 
impact the health and safety of your followers and the way that they proceed in this unprecedented situation. In addition to uh, when your life is fundamentally unrelatable, do we want their truth, even if it's tone deaf? And how do we reconcile that hypocrisy? I like to pose these questions because I think it's really interesting that in the almost in the good times and the more frivolous times, it's so easy to dismiss and trivialize the influencer for the swipe ups and the uh, you know nature of their content and the self indulgence of it all, right? But it's almost weirdly in in these dire times where reach and messaging really matter is when we we are is like the only time we take the influencer seriously and want them to take it seriously too and acknowledge that they have a real opportunity here to not only reach people and a responsibility to not misinform them but at the very least inform and experience things along with them that are affecting not only our country but more importantly to the individual the people they represent through their following that they are profiting off of and there's a really there's an interesting inverse uh that happens during these times where, you know, influencers are always wanting to be taken seriously as as personal brands, as businesses, because they are. And I'm always there to defend that. Um, I, I think that there's there's a lot of sexist uh, behavior exhibited toward influencers in ways that male influencers do not experience we call them content creators. We trivialize the things women like and the people who hawk the products of the things that women typically like, not really realizing that we're kind of unfairly undermining things that are perfectly fine to deem important to ourselves and perfectly fine to um, indulge in uh, in our spare time if it brings us joy. And like, it's almost even become cliche to make fun of it. Like, I almost feel like there's this irony where people who make fun of influencers get really big, but then in building a following, you kind of realize what you can monetize and opportunities come your way. And then the non-influencer becomes the influencer, but it kind of acts like it's not happening. <laughs> and I feel like that happens a lot too, with myself included. I'll do swipe ups and stuff, but, and I've had, and like people send me free stuff sometimes, but like I held up for three years. Until I got the perfect ad that combined my interest in Bravo and the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And I was absolutely thrilled. But anyway, that's not important. What I think is kind of interesting here is, is yeah, uh, influencers wanting to be taken seriously as personal brands and businesses uh, in, the, in the good times. But when it becomes tough, uh, when you have to start to make tough decisions, when you have to inevitably stand up for something and incur the risk of alienating part of your audience, that's when all of a sudden, oh, it's just Instagram. It's not that serious. I'm just here for fashion and beauty. It's it's like this complete 180 of don't take me that seriously. Why are you asking so much of me? And it's just so self-serving and it deserves to be called out. And I don't know how to feel about this or if this is going to sound bad because so the the conversation almost instantaneously went to like who spoke out about this who said this was wrong how did influencers respond because we are in this incredibly dangerous era where the truth does not always exist actually it hardly does and the tendency for the now mainstream to reach for something unlikely and conspiratorial and ignore what's right in front of them is 
terrifying and alarming. And people with reach and with a platform play a huge role in reinforcing or refuting misinformation, but also in being an example of a person operating in this world who like cares about people and humanity and who's not always taking the cop out of like not wanting to get political and realizing that most of the time the ask actually isn't to be political. You think I have a I have a podcast where I talk about foreign policy and like net neutrality, economic policy? No, I talk I make the Taylor Swift podcasts and, and make jokes about my long but passionate affair with making pallet furniture. Um and I think what is driving people absolutely crazy um, is kind of like the, I don't do politics, I don't get political, I'm not your news outlet, sort of BS cop-out, apathetic reply that, like, in my head, is just straight up. <laughs> to me, influencers insisting that they never involve or engage in in the political space is the identical energy to samantha jones earnestly saying i don't believe in the republican party or the democratic party i just believe in parties and like (laughs) i that's what i think about every time and just like kim cattrall this past week in announcing the reboot and just as in this reboot, that is this new year of 2021 in this life we live, Samantha Jones is out. People who just believe in parties are out. Because not doing politics doesn't really make sense when the things that people are asking you to acknowledge aren't inherently political and are matters of humanity and just should reflect that you legitimately care about them. People are really actually aren't asking for that much, I don't think, even though I will proceed to explain for two hours all the nuances of this issue. I just think there are so many influencers that live that live their lives as I don't know they they remind me of these girly gift shoppy quotes that to me are like some influencers to me are are like walking cocktail napkins. They never saw the need to evolve past being solely decorative in a sense. In a in that to be fair, that reflects the values of yesteryear, but there's an importance in in evolving. At the very least, your gift shop neighbor in a hand painted Lolita wine glass that will collect us for eternity because the term hand painted is intimidating in terms of its care, and you would rather never drink out of it than have to figure out how to wash it. And that evolution in and of itself is incredibly fragile and useless. <laughs> So that wasn't a good metaphor. God bless Lolita. I, I appreciate a hand-painted product. A great canister they come into. I mean, I, you know, that that was the, the, the hot gift of the mid-aughts is to get a, a singular hand-painted wine glass that's like themed pink and black and has polka dots and like high heel peep toe pumps on it that were only suitable for Blair Waldorf's kiss on the lips party. You know what I mean? It's like that energy. Um... <laughs> What was I saying? Uh, no, that I, I just, I think of uh, the, the uh, cocktail napkin of it all. And I think of Samantha Jones saying quotes like that, because I, I think that there are so many influencers who live their lives uh, forgetting that they're 
they need to be more than solely decorative, who have to embrace the shift that our current environment um, warrants. Honestly, this past year necessitates that the, the people who have reach also really need to have substance. But I do need to take a moment here. No, not to not to give an ad, but rather, can I, can I just acknowledge <laughs> that Darren, um, Darren Starr, the, the, the creative sex in the city, brief tangent, sorry. If you're new here, this is a long form podcast. This is only hosted by me. And I know it's not normal to go off on these tangents, but I'm actually going to keep these at bay today. But we've already brought up Samantha Jones. Uh, and I, I, I can't, I can't get over that the, the shining Darren star that gave us, like, I couldn't help but wonder, that gave us the post-it, that gave us the most exciting, challenging, and significant relationship is the one you have with yourself. The person who gave us the candy-coated creed of some women aren't meant to be tamed. I look back so fondly on when I thought Sex in the City was prose. And I want... I was just, I've just had the urge to say pros before hoes. And I just feel like if Jess Mariano had a slogan, that would be it. But anyway, to finish my thought, um, what a wild ride it was realizing the man I thought was the architect of genuinely great thoughts, uh, that I honestly embarrassingly often think in the cadence of when I close my own episodes, because I like wordplay and I like warmth and I like cheese and I want to be a pocket girl and I really don't use my oven. Um, but being an adult and having to realize the, the, the cheese that I did not see at the time of, of Carrie Bradshaw's inner monologue in newspaper articles. And then now as an adult, having to withstand the garbage captions of one Emily in Paris. Only to find out that my shining Darren star has fallen and he's the one that created both. And that Emily in Paris is probably more likely, like, is probably a, an accurate read of what like Sex in the City actually was. But as a teenager, I thought it was deeply profound. Does that make sense? Emily in Paris was entertaining, but like, she, it was, she, she did a vague marketing job. It put in no effort to understand anything about the French culture. <laughs> so my husband finished it without me, and he was like so equal parts engaged and frustrated by the show. And I'd just like over here and be like, ugh, here we go again. Mixing business with pleasure, part 900. Oh, imagine that. This incredibly complicated work problem I just wasted 30 minutes of my time on was ultimately solved with a pair of scissors. <laughs> I was like, what, what are you, you okay? Like, why are you watching this? <laughs> but uh, I, I just, I, yeah, I could write a thesis on how deeply, problematically unimaginative her captions are relative to the expert vague marketer that mixes business with pleasure that she is. And how Darren Star, my shooting Darren Star, decides that the way that I'm supposed to be convinced that Emily finds herself thrust into influencerdom is with captions like, I get by with little help from Mona Me. It's like he just said fr friend in French. That wasn't, a, that wasn't clever. That wasn't interesting. Why did she sit on that, her friend's boyfriend's lap all the way to uh, Champagne, France? Whose parents just own like a chateau in the Champagne region? <laughs> and why did she sleep with a minor? And we're supposed to be okay with that. I'm really struggling because of, uh, of I watched a teacher last weekend. I'm all engaging. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Okay. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm getting back on topic. Just my two cents. If, if it, in the off, off chance 
any element of this will ever be enjoyable for you. Interesting, helpful. I don't really know what to expect. Well, I, I, this is these these episodes give me a bit of anxiety, if I'm honest. Um, if you like it, it's very hard to be a podcaster in this very celebrity-dominated industry these days, and it makes all the difference if you share or tell a friend or share it on your story, and if you're private, send it to me directly, and it would mean the world. So, yeah, feel free to share if you like it. But anyway, uh, okay, so I was talking about how when I was watching people discuss the the role of influencers in denouncing what happened at the Capitol, I was thinking back, I'm like, what did I do? Because I guess in a weird way, I, I, I'm not saying I do this right or well, and it's something I need to do better at. And it's actually kind of a problem that I don't really maybe strategize. But I also kind of feel lucky in that I had no memory of developing a strategy because a national crisis was occurring. I was like, oh my God, with the level of urgency, not this is like totally undermining, but like, if, okay, if Taylor Swift is dropping a new album, you think I'm going to go dark for the day? I'm interested, obviously. Similarly, it's kind of like, even though I don't have a political podcast, I am a human person in this nation. Therefore, when I see people trying to overthrow the U.S. Capitol, uh, I'm interested. I'm horrified. I'm, I, I, I'm beside myself. And even if I don't have a profound statement in that moment, I don't even think that's what people want from me. I want to experience things and acknowledge things, not out of strategy, but because like, holy shit, this is happening and I care. And I know you guys do too. And so part of me is like, that's, that's this like piece where I feel like it is simple. And Adrian Cooper, who's insightful on so many different levels, and I think should have a podcast herself. Um, that she, she's the one who kind of put that in perspective for me. I forget what I asked her, but I, she was basically like, I just, you want people to re if you're active on social media, and you talk about what's going on in the world and you have a you if you hear about Hillary Baldwin, Hilaria Baldwin, <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, got to go to Instagram, got to share my thoughts, got to acknowledge this is happening. As I, she compared what she expects from influencers and what she expects for people in terms of the urgency they should feel to denounce things like domestic terrorism and white supremacy should be comparable to that of another thing you would spring to Instagram and feel called to action to immediately address. I'm paraphrasing, sorry, Adrian. But that, that's kind of what I extracted from the exchange. Um, and I was like, whoa, that's that's a very good way to put it. A, a good way to frame what is less of a function of strategy and what what is more of a judgment of your instinct, right? And that's what I think I was having trouble explaining with influencers in COVID. And that's what... Jesse Bernhardt and I discussed when we were talking about influencers in a time of social injustice is that I notice I start to feel angry and start to insist things of people. When I, I genuinely do not know if they care. And to me, the biggest distinction between people that complain about not needing to be a news outlet, not wanting to get political, that make excuses, that complain about haters, uh, and like the, the de demands from the general public that are out of line relative to the content they want to provide or whatever the hell it is. I think that 
maybe what those people don't realize is the is it's not a question of did you share it's a question of do you care and when i'm thinking of the people i follow on social media and i feel like in my chest like, you know what i like somebody in the facebook group brought up that their barometer for like an unfollow is like who makes who like kind of brings up the ugly side of me and i was like i actually really appreciate that distinction because some people just like really bother you and that's like what you need to listen to. But when I feel that feeling towards somebody last week, for example, it's not because it's a person that I already have a decent idea of where they stand and was curious if and what they shared. It's the people who I, who I don't necessarily want to know what they have to say about this event. But the, uh, the through line is that is not unique to this event is do you care? Because the alignment to social issues to anti-racism, to a public health crisis, whatever it is, is selective and is responding to the trend or the demand or insistence from the audience to respond and not from their natural instinct to react. And I think that what becomes clear over time is that the people who are fine, the people that can kind of misstep and not necessarily do everything perfectly and that shouldn't be on edge for being canceled are the ones that communicate their values so early and often in different ways that if they're not doing the most <laughs> at every turn or saying the perfect thing or reacting in the right way, people aren't actually like that worried about it because that, that, that is that grace and flexibility that people are always begging for on social media that they don't necessarily deserve but i think the people that deserve it are the ones that you know who care but like yeah they probably do have stuff going on they probably are as consumed watching it as you are they probably do have a life that they uh prioritize uh, rightfully so outside of social media and they will say something and share eventually and you'll be interested in what they have to say but it's never a question of do you think they care <laughs> um and i think the people that genuinely don't care that we're frustrated by are the ones who pandered to not their own natural reaction, but to a solicitation from the public of needing to say something. But again, it's not really aligned with their natural values. So over time, the lack of consistency becomes apparent. And I think in a weird way, when you feel that sort of like deep frustration, even the rhetorical question of like, do you care is irrelevant because when you ask that, when something as severe and important happens as you know, insurrection, I think you already have your answer, right? If you're having to ask that. If you'll allow me to uh, take a brief break for a couple of our sponsors. You know, it is uh, sorority recruitment season. <laughs> Terrible segue. Uh, the company's ritual, and I was just going to talk about it. I miss like the cloak and dagger weirdness of sorority ritual, but kind of not important in the grand scheme of a multivitamin. But I have a question for you for a seamless, flawless transition. Do you really know what's in your multivitamin? Uh, sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers, artificial colorants, not to mention animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin form from hooves and hides are all ingredients you might find in a multivitamin. But Ritual isn't your typical multivitamin. It is clean, it is vegan-friendly, and it is made with key nutrients and forms your body can actually use. No shady extras. It was made by a skeptic for skeptics. You know, You guys know I love this story with how this the woman was pregnant who started this and was told she had to choose between having a family and starting a company and like hell no 
So she took it upon herself to make the product that she was not seeing in the marketplace, which is a story you can get behind. And I deeply love. And I really love this product. I take two every day of the women's multivitamin. But they have a lot of different um, life stages that uh, for women or for men, for teens, they're best-selling prenatal vitamin. It is formulated with key nutrients, including vitamin D3 to help fill gaps in your diet. They're fresh tasting and they have these delayed release capsules that dissolve later. So they're less sensitive on your stomach. And also they have like this, I can't explain the minty fresh aftertaste. If you guys have it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like delightful and you don't really understand it until you experience it. But what I love is that they're transparent and they're traceable. They're literally in a transparent container that the capsules themselves are transparent. And you'll always know where your nutrients come from thanks to rituals, one of a kind, visible supply chain, which is huge in the vitamin world. Um, and it just makes healthy habits easy. So your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping. Always you can start snooze or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love ritual within your first month, they will refund your first order. So you deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash be there in five F I V E, not the number five. And next, very importantly, we have better help. I'm kind of laughing because I I glance at the copy, but always try to provide my own personal endorsement. And the first thing it says is, what interferes with your happiness? Gee, (laughs) where to start? Where to begin? Uh, But truly, you guys know how strongly I feel about the importance of uh, therapy, of how much I love CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and how I just think it's important uh, during life's complicated times to have a sounding board, a person to talk to, and a person that can help you identify tools to work around, to work with what you have and to cope as well as you can in the circumstances you're in. And it's not self-help, it's professional counseling. Um, and what I love about BetterHelp is that they they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you can start communicating with in under 24 hours. And you can do so in a safe and private online environment in your home. It's incredibly convenient. And you can send messages to your counselor anytime. And what's important to me is that you can switch because I've definitely gone before and felt like I poured my heart out and felt like we were I was vibing with the person. And um, they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. Um, there's a broad range of expertise, which I also think is key, whether you're dealing with family conflicts, anger, depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, self-esteem, grief. Anything you share is confidential. And I just think that having, you know, providing, at least for me, providing my listeners with convenient, professional, affordable um, access to therapy is incredibly important to me. And I highly encourage you to check out their testimonials posted daily on their site. It's not a crisis line, but so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And it's just a really, really great tool that I think is helping a lot of people, especially during the more trying times of our in our society. Um, and I want you to start living a, a, a happier life today, whatever that means for you and whatever way you define happiness. I just want, I, I genuinely want people to not have to always bear the burden of figuring everything out themselves in a world in a pandemic that can be so incredibly isolating and I'm rambling, but I really do care about this advertiser. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash be there in five. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash be there in five. It was a disgusting display of the worst of the worst of the behavior that we know is alive and well, but are typically spared of seeing firsthand with our own two eyes. And it was disgusting. And if you want to say I'm projecting, see also Camp Auschwitz shirts. Are you kidding me? 
the Confederate flag. I mean, guys, the, these the, these people, on, there there is no plan in which these people deserve the benefit of the doubt and are anything besides hateful, hateful people. I, I had to end my, I didn't have to do it, but like I ended my um, merch relationship with Teespring because I, I wasn't, com- I'm not comfortable with how they responded to people selling shirts that say Camp Auschwitz on them. And even though I fully understand and acknowledge this type of custom retail where there's full creative control on behalf of the user, that has, is, is hard to have the AI to have full, complete oversight over it. It largely relies on, on uh, being self-regulated and reported. It's one thing to miss it the first time, but it, in seeing people show examples of how they called attention to this type of merch before and how there was kind of this automated response that allowed it to filter right on through its accepted use policy. Even though I hope that they're able to fix that going forward. And even though I know that they themselves aren't making or designing those things, it's the responsibility of companies to have acceptable use policies, to filter out hate speech and to not use their over automated business model as a crutch for why they can't be responsible and the publicly visible messaging associated with their website. Um, and anyway, it was one of those things where like, it wasn't a big story or anything. It wasn't like I was trying to get ahead of it. It was just like, I'm uncomfortable that all things considered at the end of the day to screen pin a shirt like that, there is a, an element of quality control or quality assurance where a human person is seeing that there are shirts being printed that say camp Auschwitz. I do not want to associate with work with, or contribute to the success of a company that does not have hard and fast policies in place to ensure that would be stopped, escalated, and implemented the first time. Again, I understand that these things can happen, but I do think how you respond matters. And it was upsetting to me to know that they wouldn't have a way to catch that, even if it wasn't necessarily their fault. They should have a way to catch that. If you bought my merch, you would see the shirts that popped up. And this was already something I felt like was a little weird, was like suggested other creators. And it was just like almost exclusively motorcycle tees with injections of like obscure um, cities and like references to metal. Is that just me? Maybe it's my IP address. Those those are my interests. Um, But anyway, I was like, there's no there's no question in my mind whether I went to align with or risk this this uh, poor acceptable use policies ability to filter out things that could potentially be hateful to my listeners that are spending their hard-earned money with me on my merch on this website who, who then gets a cut of whatever they pay me the only thing i can say that i feel like i do without necessarily trying to do it is just like being a person and like as a person i don't want to align with what teespring did not catch so therefore nor will be there in five it's just like not that hard. I don't know. And I understand like I'm not that huge. I'm like not running an enterprise here. I, I there's I I mean, I can't like function without Courtney. And of course, we talked about it. But like she was she was she wholeheartedly agreed because I work. I also try to work with people who uh, would know my instinct towards something before I even had to say it. And she always does. But anyway, I say all that not to pat myself on the back, but rather, I guess, to express another example of like, OK, what a Am I deploying any sort of tactic? Not really. But also, FYI, you can't buy merch right now. I don't know what we're going to do. 
it kind of was a huge blow because we, there was like this whole vetting process. It's just like kind of interesting. But that's the thing is I'm learning. I'm like, how did I not really think through that there's a huge difference between having your own storefront and concealing who does your merch versus just letting them fully handle it? I'm so traumatized from my years in e-commerce. I just I wanted to have as much control as I could over like design cues, sizing, uh, turnaround, pricing, but to leverage a, uh, an infrastructure that could do this much more quickly than it would take me to like build up the ability to do this again and or that I want to spend my time on that when there's already companies you can leverage and outsource this to. And um, yeah, we're back to the drawing board. So uh, I, I, what I'm thinking is I'll, I'll find an intermediary solution that's not perfect while we work on broader things um, and a more permanent solution. But yeah, I'm like learning stuff all the time, you guys. It's it's like, I can't believe I didn't think of that earlier uh, to that. I the importance of like thinking of the broader implications of like, if I can make custom things on there, who else can? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, just, I, I, I'm like, I know better than anybody that I just didn't whatever. I'm frustrated with myself on that one. And I'm sorry that merch is not available. And if you even if you ordered it like very recently, a, you, you can contact them to get your money back or they'll still fulfill it, even though I deactivated the listings. Uh, anything that was like ordered before I deactivated will be fulfilled and still can be returned, by the way. But also, I want to be clear, Teespring Leverage is a network of like independent screen printers and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a whole it's a whole thing. And I don't want anybody who already ordered merch to think that merch is like inherently evil or terrible or like uh, represent something like it's an independent screen printer printed it and they leveraged a network of that person that is closest to you that has the same amount of inventory. My concern was the lack of protocol that they had um, and oversight uh, over the processes of this sort of screen printing model to make sure that any human doing quality assurance or quality control is crystal clear that it is an unconscionable breach of their company policies to ever print something with such rampant, disgusting, anti-Semitic hate speech on it. And that's where I'm just like, they have no flexibility. Um, so yeah, anyways, I just don't want you to think your merch is like cursed or bad. It's just a function of... Uh, now knowing what I need to look for in, in a company policy and figuring out when what's worth it to outsource and what I just really should probably build myself to make it what I want. But I have a tendency to do that and it's consuming. I'm trying to be better about leveraging uh, other resources where I can, but the, the, these are limitations that exist within doing that. So anyway, uh, just a tangent, but thanks to all of you that supported and wore the merch and I'll still continue to. I'll just have somebody else making it. It's just people. It's just finding other people who put things on th other things. <laughs> and I, I just want to make sure your money is going to things that support and reflect the things you and I care about. Um. Anyway, okay. I'm really gonna try to not make this like needlessly long and rambly, and like try to make a point <laughs> if I can. I guess the bottom line in 2021 as an influencer. When it comes to the people that fund your lifestyle, if the core, if, if the nucleus of how you communicate to them, again, the people that give you value that essentially whose investment, interesting engagement writes your checks, right? If you don't think you're in the business of people, if you don't think that the nucleus of your wellspring being social media means that you're responsible 
for being socially conscious. I mean, it's, it's literally the same word. Um, then I think you're going to continue to experience a great deal of pushback, frustration, quote unquote, haters and alleged, uh, people that are out of line to suggest that you need to step outside of your job description when the I find such a lack of validity in that arbitrary job description to begin with that is not fixed is to accommodate a fairly nascent industry of being an influencer and that in the business of being a person and having you and your life and your family and the things you do as your product as a business and as a brand it's it is your responsibility to reflect your market and their values and their needs and evolve accordingly and to kind of side with the Emily Post argument of like, no politics, no religion, no money, you know, we're just not in that world anymore. And I think it's important to adjust if you genuinely care. And I'll keep saying it, but I think what you need to make sure people know is not did you share is do you care? And I don't feel mad at people who, that I know care even if they didn't share, because they will eventually in their own way. And they probably had a good reason for it. Because most people are normal people that give other people the benefit of the doubt. They really are. I think the people that feel like they're bombarded with a lot of unreasonable behavior, while I don't deny that experience, I, I think that like it's in response to something a person's doing that they're not necessarily being flexible at all and adjusting to. I think that initially I too misunderstood the call to action at times to be that people like wanted people to say something specific or wanted them to be a, a, a mouthpiece or to, to deliver the news. And I'm like, well, I don't want these people delivering the news. Like I don't want to incite performative action. What was brought to my attention and what I appreciate that I'm continuously learning is like, yeah, it's just not hard to, to condemn what happened. It's just not hard to condemn white supremacy, to make sure the, that the people that you represent feel seen, heard, safe, and valued. And those that are marginalized aren't written off as their struggle being political and sorry, it doesn't fall into fashion or beauty. You don't have to be exhaustive. You don't have to be profound. I don't even think you always need to be that current. <laughs> I think like people are pretty cool. And like I said earlier, I think that the, the, the people people really go for and, and focus on aren't the people that aren't doing it perfectly are the ones where they're the most concerned if they actually care deep down. The underlying tone there is already knowing that there's a disconnect in values. And I think when people start to get a disproportionate amount of hate where people are wondering that is when they need to realize that everyone else isn't the worst. It's that you aren't doing your part being crystal clear on what you value, what you care about. Just to remind you, like I'm speaking in theory here, not from experience, like these are things that I'm thinking out loud of things that I also need to deploy and do better at and what I glean that people are looking for just based on the volume of information I've read from people about their thoughts toward this. Um, I'm by no means being prescriptive or instructive because I'm great at this. I'm not. 
and this is where doing these episodes gives me so much anxiety because of like how um I don't know like how uh high horse he can sound when it's not like I have a PhD in this like I don't freaking know I just think a lot about this stuff and maybe to a greater degree because I'm kind of in both worlds and I, I, it's helpful for me to think out loud to you. I appreciate you listening to me wander through this, but I, I, I learned a lot even just this week. Like it's just, it's amazing to me how people step up to the plate and are such incredible leaders. And that is an interesting element of processing in the way you react or respond in that some people don't have the luxury of processing. And this is something I, I uh, really was so helpful to uh, hear articulated by a person whose Instagram handle is Tiffany Turner Moon. I think she did a really good job explaining this. And she has a highlight called Read the Room. And I, and I, I appreciated how she was like, I don't need you to be everything to everyone and to be the loudest and the smartest and the blah, blah, blah. But at the very least, I could expect you to pause your content. And that's not even something I'd really thought of. Cause I'm always like thinking of like the content itself, but not necessarily even the act of just pausing the business as usual. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's so true. Like I get like peppering and normal like stuff, but you know, the, the aggressive selling and the swipe ups and the ads and to reach out to your collaborators and this hope that the people you work with understand the climate we're in and the sensitivity that needs to be um, considered as a result. And then she talked about, I don't have the privilege of processing. And I just thought it was a really interesting thing that I hadn't really sat down and thought about and that I hadn't been able to kind of metaphorically align with until I realized that just as when things happen, where behaviors aren't thwarted or worse rewarded of actual racists, how the level of alarm that and, and response that would yield from a person of color is different than a white person. But it's a pretty simple concept of when things actually have the ability to interfere with to or to oppress you, you do not have the luxury of uh, curating a reaction. <laughs> You just have one because it affects your life and your sense of safety. And I think in most cases, it's the responsibility of the people that aren't having to deal with that reality. And the people like me, whose comparisons they're drawing are of fiction or are less likely to happen. And that's where these conversations matter in terms of who needs to be the advocate and who needs to be the ally and who needs to step up to the plate and who should not be expected to constantly exhaustively educate other people because they're the ones affected. It should be the people that are the least affected helping out the people that are the most. But I know I'm speaking like weird generalizations here and I don't mean to like a them or other anybody. I, I, it's, I, I just mean like in, in, typically in a situation where there's something catastrophic or tra traumatic happening, especially that could potentially affect or does affect a marginalized group. It's not their choice to react, <laughs> you know? And I want to, I, I need to be more co conscious of that going forward. And I just am like wildly impressed and grateful for people that like take such leadership in these positions and people like Tiffany Turner moon, like uh, Danielle Prescott, um, like, 
there's uh, somebody that tagged me this week that I've been following closely that found this podcast because Nora was on it. I don't know if she's a listener because I'm glad to have found her. Her name is Celisia uh, Stanton, C-E-L-I-S-I-A Stanton. Uh, two great resources for just like general uh, government, public policy and procedural information that kind of is exceeds civics 101 that's really helpful in navigating the news uh at emily in your phone and i'm new to at sharon says emily in your phone is clear about her affiliation being left-leaning and she handles these issues with a lot of uh, uh wit and clarity and i'm impressed by her and sharon says that calls herself america's government teacher but will not like um, share her affiliation, which at first I was skeptical of, but people, I don't know. I'm, I'm new. People seem to like her. And I, and I do like the facts she shares and her, most of our perspectives so far, I guess I'm just so used to operating in a world that if you're covering up your affiliation, it just means you're unpopularly affiliated relative to your target audience. Um, however, I actually do very much understand in that sort of position that if your goal is to educate that you can't, polarize and unfortunately people put up walls um when from the second you identify a party or who you vote for and i actually have thoughts on that too um anyways what are we talking about i am this is windy and god bless you for sticking with me uh i was talking about people i'd like to follow um oh i went to high school with a woman named Lindsay templeton who i think does a really great job making infographic swipe through breakdowns of like resources of even how to like con uh, assemble conversations that you're having with people. And, Oh, uh, obviously Carmen Meyer, who was on the podcast, she's amazing and has an incredible skill and patience as an educator and a way she explains things that I think is wildly impressive. And all these people I'll put in the show notes so you can click through to their profiles. Um, I'll think of more as I go. I kind of feel like now that we're here, let's just stay here and let's just go here. And I'm just not, I don't know. There's a million reasons why I avoid talking about things all the time. And then I'll scream into a pillow after this, just because I'm so afraid of being misconstrued. But as I mentioned earlier, I think the more important thing to stand strong in is like, uh, my intentions are good. I hope you for the most part understand. I've listened to a lot of my podcasts where I'm typically coming from. And if, if I misstep, I probably deserve it <laughs> to, to, to learn the lesson. Um, but like, I do want to talk about something that like, I don't know if it will be as popularly received because I, I, this isn't the, the um, rhetoric right now that, that really matches that of my demographic that I'm in and identify with for the most part, which is like a urban secular millennial, uh, an urban secular, secular liberal millennial rather. Um, and that I think people are so understandably fed up with um, people being complicit, people being inactive, people supporting a broader agenda of things that they just so fundamentally don't think are, are right or okay under any circumstances that all the benefits of all the benefits of the doubt have been given. All of the all of the grace and other nonsense people ask for has been granted. And when this it's the same shit, different day, people are just done, done, done and kind of want to be like, if you voted to support this with the transitive property, you don't support me 
that I don't support you, you, you know what I mean? Like there's understandably the people that are the most deeply affected by these things that keep happening, the disappointments that keep occurring and the people that have are, or have the potential to be oppressed as a result are very tired of giving people grace and understanding constantly. And I mean, to explain these things constantly and have every right to just cut it off then and there because it's not necessarily their responsibility. But I, what bothers me is when people like me, for example, if I were to adopt the, you voted for him, therefore I'm not your friend, we cannot talk, I have to cut you off, I have to disown you. That is so lazy. <laughs> and the, the only way change is, that is, is guaranteed to never happen. And if uh, people in a position of privilege and that you have the luxury to process or things aren't as likely to affect you directly. And even though I might equally agree that I do not support it, I think it is my job, the longer fuse that is not immediately affected by and does not force to have to react to things, to be the one having the long, arduous, difficult conversations and playing the long game. But the whole point is using your position to advocate for people, right? And um, I think that it's equally as illogical and oversimplified when people expect people to like cut off and be harsh and extreme with the people that are closest to them. When uh, for many people, a lot of these differences, as sad as it is, weren't very apparent until 2020. And I think there's been like a, a real adjustment period for many people and I'm theorizing here without saying I endorse any of this. I just think my theory that I think is kind of overlooked about a lot of influencers, if we want to grant the benefit of the doubt in certain instances where it's warranted, at least the you know first couple times around, I, I like I really do think a lot of people are faced with having their own beliefs that do largely match those of their following. Uh, but they're they're being like intimidated and made to feel like they're betraying people that are important to them and also having to deal with the reality of being deeply disappointed at how misaligned they are with the people that unlike the parasocial relationship one has with their followers, that while the importance on the emphasis of, of your impact is paramount to only focusing on the implications or risks that affect you, an individual, I, 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 I am sensitive to and understand that it's not realistic, that it's as simple for everybody as I believe this, therefore I will share it. I think that sometimes silence is deafening and obvious and it tells you what you need to know. And I do think sometimes people are wrestling with a lot behind the scenes with their own family, friends, spouse, whatever it is. I'm very lucky that my spouse aligns with me politically. I am lucky that for my family, my extended family, I feel like the things that we don't we don't necessarily agree with on everything, but I'm given like the space and time and latitude to be able to form my own thoughts and opinions and to explore just like they were once a lot of that opportunity. But I, I genuinely understand how challenging it can be to deviate from groupthink, from a reference group, from a church, from a community, from a family. Um, and I'll get to this topic a little bit later, but that's actually why 
what may be perceived as me tiptoeing at times with issues that are political when I don't overly label them politically is because I think about these people a lot. And I do not want anybody to get it twisted that I'm an agree to disagree kind of gal. But I also don't support the rhetoric that's like, you have to cut off the people that don't agree with you. Not from the standpoint of wanting to superficially keep the peace and of overlooking things that do need to be like discussed and worked through and not supporting people and things and um, broader efforts that fuel things that are hateful and do uh, deeply impact broader humanity. But like it, we're on the hook for these conversations for the long game. Like to me, the crime is prioritizing your ego and frustration over actually inciting meaningful change. And I really am not trying to make a bullshit argument for peace and unity and agreeing to disagree. Rather, I, I think it, it's important that people not, that people acknowledge that not ever it is not everybody's responsibility to do this work and to take on these conversations. I know people feel like there is a bullying tendency for you to say and act and behave exactly how people want you to. But I think it's important to take a step back and realize like where that's coming from. And also if you're a person that's on the team of people that you don't necessarily agree with everyone's approach to realize there's a difference of probably why you approach the things you do in addition to just general personality and communication style. But it also really, I think has to do with, um, if you're the one that's ultimately being affected by these people's decisions that are actively opposing you, ignoring you and silencing you. Right. And I don't know. I don't know the easiest way to talk about this. And I, I feel that saying this like makes me sound like I'm overtly trying to be manipulative, but it's not the case at all. I guess I just want to shout out anyone out there is dealing with what I'm dealing with. And that it is a little bit weird when your spouse eats more healthily than you do. Uh, and uh, I'm in a situation right now where I'm not big on resolutions, but my husband largely eats pretty healthy and a keto friendly diet. And we're fortunate because we're able to do this pretty easily with butcher box. And I actually get to experience the joy and deliciousness of him making their meat constantly. And luckily today's sponsor butcher box believes everyone deserves high quality, humanely sourced meat. And we've been eating their products for a long time now. And it got us through the pandemic uh, it'll get us through the Chicago winter, and it's a really great company that uh, allows you to have meat show up at your door and ensure there's always something in the freezer. All meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones, and has nine. Each box has nine to eleven pounds of meat, enough for twenty-four individual meals. And you can customize your box or go with one of theirs. They have this really great bundle now called the Ultimate Keto Bundle that I'll tell you about. And it's just kind of at this point a no-brainer. It's the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. And what's even more important is having options like 100% grass-fed and finished beef. As we've talked about, it drives me crazy that there's no more regulation with the term grass-fed because you can feed a person, uh, an animal of blade of grass and call it grass-fed. It needs to be finished. Uh, but you also can get free or organic range, a free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and my personal fave, the sugar and nitrate-free bacon. And you can get the highest quality meat around for just around $6 a meal. So if you want to start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat, they always have such a fun deal uh, for a limited time. ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone and chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to ButcherBox.com slash be there in five. That is ButcherBox.com slash be there in five. 
It's important to me that you know that I'm resisting every bone in my body to do a transition that is not me singing Hoku of uh, the burrito song fame's uh, song, How Do I Feel, to the tune of How Do I Feels, uh, because the next sponsor is Feels. Uh, <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> feels is uh, premium CBD shipped straight to your doorstep. And I've talked about CBD before and that I've used it for years. And I understand that it can be kind of an overwhelming thing when you're new to it. But what's cool about Feels and why I want to endorse it is it, it it's designed to take the guesswork out of dosage it is a hotline to help people understand uh the, kind of go through the discovery process of what's going to ultimately work best for them and i typically will take cbd because i have issues with sleeplessness i literally just took a break from this ad to put a few drops under my tongue because it's getting late <laughs> um, and the state of the world has me needing to wind down but if you're not super familiar with CBD, the important thing to note is that it is natural. There's no high. There is no addiction. Um, it's a way to make you feel better that looks a little bit different for everybody. And rather than focus on the specific thing it will do for you, I just highly suggest if um, you are dealing with a lot of stress and tension to consider trying it. Because I think that uh, the important thing to remember about CBD is finding that your right dose is really important and everyone's is different and everyone, the effects people feel can be different. Uh, but personally speaking, CBD uh, has honestly improved my quality of life. And as a person that struggles to kind of wind down, especially when I put out episodes like this, uh, it's just been a very helpful way to combat sleeplessness in a way that's not going to induce some sort of drowsy fog the next day a way that's you know more natural and better for me than let's say wine or like i don't know pounded melatonin gummies I, I i love feels i appreciate what they do their formula is incredibly high quality and uh if you want to try it out the thing that's great is if you join the feels community you can get feels delivered to your door every month you'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime and Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash be there in five, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash be there in five to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash be there in five. Sorry, sometimes I, I know I'm not fast with ads and I probably drive people nuts. I just want to explain things. Um, and... I appreciate you not denying me my livelihood. Um, I think sometimes the way I approach things is a function of the way that I know I respond to things. And I feel like the the standard for a person in my position that has a, has a podcast that's in media is to have more of an edge, have more of a perspective and go a little harder. And sometimes the reason I don't do that and I don't label things politically or point fingers even when I want to um, is because I worry that uh, in a, you know, in a given week, month, whatever, for people that grow up in largely homogenous environments with very intimidating, aggressive reference groups that do not allow for freedom of thought. And th this is very real. And I understand that for people that are in urban secular environments that didn't grow up in a place that is pretty homogenous in their thinking, like, I understand how it might be hard to imagine like a world where you just can't like rise up, do better, steamroll and be like, screw y'all, I'm out of here. But there is a process and there is an evolution. And I think that like, I feel a responsibility 
that in the event that I'm the only semi-progressive person that a person knows that is listening to me somewhere around the world and, and doesn't have other outlets or people to talk to and is like on the fence or wanting to be more open and accepting or wanting to kind of at the very least question what they know and recalibrate it with what other people think. And it's not that I need to manipulate you or make you agree with me. It's that I really genuinely do think people have incredible capacity for empathy and understanding and openness, but it is a process to get them there. And they have to be empowered and encouraged to kind of think that way. And I, I don't, I don't want to live in a world where you have to personally experience something to empathize with it. And I think intimate mediums like podcasts give people an opportunity to hear other perspectives, to empathize with people, and to experience uh, another world than the one they live in, in an intimate, private setting, and to explore their thoughts. And I want to encourage that. I don't need to make carbon copies of myself, but I want to allow and empower people to have the same process that I endured of making sure that the things I believed and cared about were first and foremost my decision. And I was allowed the process to kind of deconstruct what I knew and adjust according to the world I wanted to live in, the society I wanted to vote for, and the way I wanted to support people. And when I'm thinking about the responsibility of me doing that, and I think about, okay, I have a podcast that, and podcasts attract like-minded people, attract people similar to me, and, they're in, and the reason I, you know, let's be honest, have a ceiling in this industry probably won't be that popular is because I'm not super like extreme and hyperbolic. And I don't have the edge that uh, brings a lot of the, the um, comedy and the uh, shock factor that would make somebody like wildly successful, viral, clickbaity take will make them take off. I accept that about myself. But the one area of value I do think I can bring is that I understand from my own personal evolution is that not everybody responds the same to every communication style. And if I speak about something a little more broadly, gently, and don't label it or make it accusatory, and it allows people to let their guard down in a way that they're actually listening, I think that's really important. And I think that's where there can be a difference of opinion. And this is where I worry that people are going to be mad at me. But I hope you understand what I'm saying in that, like, the reason I'm not always the most outspoken person politically isn't because I'm dodging the topic. I'm typically trying to get through to people in a different way that I see being done just based on knowing there's people like me out there listening to this. And the way I receive information and best communicate is typically not the most harsh or frank tone. And it is not when I feel guilty until proven innocent. And it is not when the best example I can give, like, if you want a surefire way for me to never exercise again, give me a trainer that yells at me. Give me a cardio intense hit workout that, like, is never ending. Some people live for that intensity. Some people want to be pushed. It's not me and it's not my style. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the way we get through to people is different. And that what I'm always trying to do is argue that, like, if I'm... If I, if, if I seem to be being subtle or tiptoey about something, it's not because I don't think it's important and it's not because of a self-serving thing where I don't want to lose listeners. It's actually that I think it's so important that it's a mistake to not exhaust different angles and ways you can talk to people in a way that doesn't make them shut down before you even start the conversation. And if in the event somebody is on here and trusts me and respects me, because we largely talk about other things that we do have in common, I'd love the opportunity to talk about a thing we might not have in common in a way that is approachable and palatable if nobody else in their life is is enabling these conversations. And 
that's honestly what I care about. And again, I'm not trying to manipulate people. I just think that like there's there is a problem when we get to a place where we're accusing people of not all taking the same approach as not doing enough. When I think sometimes being the loudest and saying the most, while it does serve your ego, it doesn't necessarily serve the cause. And when that's not working, we have to consider the cause first. And it might not always be the thing that makes you look the best, but it doesn't mean it's not worth trying. And um, I just always, I, I don't know, it's just so important to me that you're clear that I always want to do right by you and that I deeply care about the things that affect you guys. And I know a, a woman in my position of privilege is not going to experience firsthand some of these things. And it is my responsibility to care about, advocate for, and put myself in the position of people that I empathize with, not because I know firsthand, but because I understand that in this alchemy that is life, of that any of us could have been born into any family anywhere at any time. There's so many things we don't know. But what I do know is that if I could as easily be in any position as any other person, the only hope I would have is that somebody that never will never know me or never meet me advocated for me. And I take that seriously, and I think about this a lot. And that's what I really want people to consider. And I'm not dense enough to think that social issues are the only thing that, only constructs that matter within politics. But they're typically top of mind conversation-wise with influencers and the thing that I do think influencers do need to take a stand on. Because it is wrong to profit off of humans. <laughs> And simultaneously consider yourself exempt of matters of humanity that affect them. Like, I really genuinely, like, I'm just speaking from the heart here in, like, a way that is intentionally not overproduced. Because, like, I don't, I, I think this is all kind of confusing and it is hard to um, organize. Because I, I think there are many cases where we're, people do deserve the benefit of the doubt to a degree. And things are a little oversimplified in terms of the reality of of people's own personal and political evolutions and how difficult it is in the context of a homo homogenous environment or family or spouse or whatever. And I'm sensitive to that because I've seen a lot of it firsthand just from where my friends and, and where I'm from and where I went to school. Um, I, I, as I talked about in Beth of Both Worlds, like I, I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to live so many different places and meet different people. Um, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think back on like things I used to really hang my hat on. I'm like, how did I ever feel that way? And it's not ever that I was like actively in pursuit of my own ignorance. It's like, I really didn't know what I didn't know. And it like kills me to think that there's so many people out there with the capacity to really care and be great. And that like, aren't really being given the opportunity or invitation to open themselves up to experience that, that capacity. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm making sense. But I talked about this in, um, this is like a small semi-irrelevant example, but like, I always think back to um, when I first lived in New York in my early 20s. When I was, tw I don't know, 21 years old, I actually had not had a gay friend that was out up until that point. And I didn't care if somebody was or wasn't gay. But the first time somebody sat me down and came out to me and approached it with the level of tentativeness and nervousness, uh, that suggested they weren't sure of my reaction. It was so eye-opening to me in uh, just because in my head I didn't care. It didn't mean I was openly an advocate and ally. 
um, in that that the thing I can that I the thing that I represent and being like a sorority girl or from the south or whatever it is like the, the the things that I represent to somebody are triggering in a sense of there's a high likelihood that they could be rejected by me and that I'm not actively doing things to make sure people know that I don't feel that way. Um, I it was it was so important to me to experience uh, seeing somebody going through that process, like one by one, person by person, and feeling like he had to explain himself and tell and, and just like the, I, I just, it just, it was like, it, it's crazy to me that like, that was my, I had never had that experience until I was 21. But after that experience, I was never the same. I made it very clear that I didn't to anybody I was friends with or knew that I do not care who you love and I support your civil rights and your right to get married and your right to experience and enjoy love just as anybody else does because you deserve it because that's the thing about religious freedoms too is like people say I'm allowed to uh be homophobic it's my religious freedom cool well part of religious freedom is that your religion can't impede on my civil rights so if I want to marry a same-sex partner I'm allowed to do that without the intervention of your religion just as my sexuality your opinion toward my sexuality can't make you discriminated against for your beliefs. Like it goes both ways. And that's just like a small anecdote. And it's, it's always a balance of like me wanting to leverage what I've learned through my personal experiences on here to try different approaches, but also acknowledging that like we can't ground everything in our personal experiences to a degree. And it, it, you know, you even last week with Megan McCain um, talking about how, you know, since having a kid, now she understands the importance of a mandated paid leave. <laughs> and it's like, well, great. Happy to have you on board. But like, also, you shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to have a kid to understand why it's a problem that among the world's like, I don't know, 40 or something wealthiest countries, the U.S. is the only one that doesn't mandate paid maternity leave. I, 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 I shouldn't, like, you shouldn't have to endure some sort of trauma or abuse or assault to believe women and to believe victims. It's the same, it's the same logic as like, well, I'm not racist. So other people must not be right. That, that is, <laughs> that's what kills me is like uh, the overly insular assumption that everything's fine because in your world it is. When I do think we have a responsibility, especially in the event we profit off of an audience if we want and expect their engagement and cooperation and their exchange in some form of currency, like we have to care about their worlds too. I know you can't care about every single thing that goes on with every person. And I get the receiving end of feeling like there's an exhausting level of correction and criticism, even coming from people that are on your team. People want things to be perfect and in, in, in alignment with their exact needs all the time. And and I, I trust me, I get that that wears on people. It wears on me too. Um, but I genuinely think, like I said earlier, if you're not focused on just pandering to trends and to one-off requirements and demands from your audience to care about or talk about something in a way that's unnatural to what you actually care about or talk about, if you're establishing your values, if you are consistently doing things that communicate them and in the event something happens and you don't know exactly what to say or do, it's okay for you to witness. It's okay for you to acknowledge. It's okay. And it'd be chill if you're just like a good person. 
it's actually quite lame that we all like <laughs> scuttle around carefully sidestepping our own blind spots that the, 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 they're blind. We don't know that they're there. Like we can't avoid them. And honestly, it's important that we're made aware of them at some point, however uh, public the stage. But if we, it, it's it's such a problem to constantly act out of our own self-preservation and not incur a slight amount of risk when we could be delivering a greater impact. And I think this notion of cancel culture, like it just really has spooked so many people. And actually, uh, Christine, Emmy, and in, in the Facebook group shared a link. I know, I'm sorry, I keep talking about the Facebook group and that annoys people because, uh, but FYI, we are letting in. So the, my, 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 I'm getting sidetracked. My ultimate goal for that Facebook group is just to like have it have, be 5,000 members, be there in 5,000. It's what's manageable for me and my mental health. And there's so much that goes into Facebook groups. And so like, I hope you understand and all the ways that I, I like, I weigh impacting community. And like, I, I say, you know, if something weighs on me, if it benefits the whole, like I need to ignore it, blah, blah, blah. And I agree with that. And But I, the one exception to the thing I've really thought through is like the implications of the Facebook group on my anxiety levels, not because it's not great because it 99% of the time is, but because um, th- if you are in my vague demographic uh, and listen to podcasts, you know that podcast Facebook groups can go off the rails really quickly. And then it's a lot of people acting under your brand name and treating each other in a way that in no way reflects your values. And if you don't have the bandwidth and ability to drop everything to figure it out and figure it out the exact right way, like it, it becomes very catastrophic. And so that's not honestly an effort for me to like, like, cause I'm worried I'll get canceled. Cause I, I think like, I don't know, I, I, things are figure outable hopefully. And, um, there's definitely been several, uh, very stressful nights and bouts of acid reflux and long paragraph writing and a lot of messaging with people I don't know that are really upset with me for something somebody else said. And I genuinely care about you guys. And like that, and it does derail my day and night when those things happen and a thing that I created. And uh, so, yeah, that's like the one area where I would say um, I, I have boundaries because I've just felt firsthand how something comes up and it needs to be addressed immediately and how that impacts my personal life, Um, especially in times that are just going to be inherently chaotic, but in kind of loosening the reins this year and just letting people talk things out. The reason I brought that up too is the incorporation of more politics. Like I definitely used to fall more into like the Emily Post assumption of no politics, no religion, no money. But you have to ask yourself, are we not talking about those things because they're awkward or does it help keep us silent? Because uh, there's a lot of inequities across those three areas, wages, religion, and politics, right? Um, and yeah, so it's been good for me to witness how more, more often than not, even conversations that get tense can lead to an educational place. Things aren't always going to work out perfectly, but it's fine. Um, and I just kind of needed a minute to figure out what we wanted to do with the group. And it'll have natural churn and attrition and stuff. But yeah, we're going to let in like a thousand more people. So I promised you guys I wouldn't. I, I would eventually. Um, uh, I'm just like so grateful to have mods that 
like genuinely care about the community and like it's just it's i'm so lucky it's so cool and uh, i'm very grateful uh for the many many of you that i feel like i know very well because i'm a lurker like i'm not i'm I'm, like always creeping i'm not always commenting and liking and stuff but uh because i i don't want to like play favorites or anything but uh, i just think you guys are funny and awesome and i'm excited to let in more of you and i just wanted to address that I've got, I get so many scathing DMs about this Facebook group and I don't even let the, I don't even run it. People are like, if you want to establish that your community is exclusive, consider yourself having lost a listener. And I'm like, you seem fun. Thanks for self-selecting. Don't want you in the group. <laughs> it's funny when people are like, I think if you know anything about me, listen to this, you probably like have a smidge of an idea of what like isn't going to work for me and isn't going to go over well with me. And people like, I just it's just fascinating how people like kind of will claim to be like your biggest fan and like demand that you get in uh, or demand that they get in. But then they're not. And I'm like, why? Why? Like, why do you want in? Like, what's in it for? Like, what? It's just I mean, it's a great group. But like, what what's happening? Like, I will forever <laughs> lie awake at night and laugh that I don't know if it was it was probably a typo, but in my fantasy you know, like, okay, if, if you've ever, like, glanced at somebody's worksheet, I'm actually very scared of getting in trouble. So I've never been, like, an epic uh, test cheater when it matters. But I remember this one time in seventh grade, I glanced at a worksheet of the person next to me because I didn't do my science homework. And it was just, like, a casual assignment. And I got caught because I couldn't really make out what they were writing. And I wrote, like, some version of a word that was utterly nonsensical that was pretty obvious i just like saw like three of the five letters and wrote them down and one time (laughs) it was like really early on somebody is like in answer one of the questions like oh my gosh i just love your (laughs) i just love your dog top coat (laughs) and i don't know why that's so funny to me because it's just off enough to be like she that's actually what she like heard or thought somebody said who was like trying to tell her the answer to it or maybe she i she just really thought that name was topcoat or had a typo but it reminded me of my science assignment just being like oh god what's that dog's name top 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 yep nailed it topcoat <laughs> So now I honestly call him Top Coat all the time. Uh, and, you know, me and my boys, Top Coat and Craig. Uh, and I'm sorry, I tell the dumbest stories, um, but I need to let you guys go. Uh, but anyway, I thank you for having this discussion. This was really, um, I don't know. It's sometimes these are tough for me to frame. And I like, uh, and on top of the technical issues I've been having in the loud computer and the vacuum in the background and the, people in a pandemic that have to view my apartment because it's selling and we're not buying it. And so people people still have to be able to see it if they want to buy it and whatever. It's a long story, but just kind of been hectic. Um, And then I, you know, will start to feel nervous. I didn't, you know, I don't always get it right. And uh, I just want to do right by you guys. And I, and I care about being consistent and uh, providing a helpful dialogue and still being entertaining and not weighing you down with the world, but acknowledging what's going on. And I don't know, it's just, it's an interesting time. And I appreciate you coming back here, even if you weren't in the mood for this conversation. And, um, oh, the one kind of space we didn't uh, talk about, it's not like that important. I don't think we talked about it, but like, uh, I do think like, 
I guess a couple things to cap this off is um, the obvious way, the obvious way to, you know, be proactive and not supporting people that obviously don't support you, right? Through the decisions they make or like, you know, a very popular uh, blogger, somebody DM me the other day, one might argue uh, has a, a great vibe to her. She just asked uh, her thoughts or like if she was going to say anything about what happened on the, at the Capitol on Wednesday and she just blocked her. And I'm like, people are blocking people for just asking basic questions. Don't get me wrong. Don't cross me or be needlessly rude. I I think it's everybody has the right to guard their mental health and blocking is part of that uh, for sure. But I was like, well, that's like, that's just wild to me. I mean, speaking of that vibe, this I think this is where like, <laughs> I don't want to like give people you know, breathe more life into their persona. If I'm arguing that, you know, we need to be the change. But part of my whole plight is when, when, when I, uh, I can't provide you guys any true crime material, but when I see crimes on the internet, I get really excited and I want to talk about them. Like everything Rachel Hollis does, uh, like the con artistry of the coaching industry and how it's becoming the new MLMs. Susie school. I want to start a coaching business called Economy Plus. Just be like, suck it. Because the, what's crazy is all these coaches now have coaches. And it literally is like pyramid vibes. And I'm like, how are you just coaching each other on coaching? It's just so strange. It's just this like, the, 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 it's the perfect, most hospitable environment for a bullshit sales pitch where you lead with, I made six figures. And it's like, in general, ever in life. And like, is that revenue? Is that profit? Like, what's your vibe? Like, it's that's either really impressive or like pretty standard over a period of time, if you're not factoring in your bottom line, uh, depending on your price and your volume, like, yeah, that like you can make that. It just doesn't make your business projectable onto the whole in the absence of any credibility. Uh, and and th that to me is like, okay, well, I'm supporting a world in which I am talking about this person more. But is the you know flaky justice system of the internet in my favor if I'm arguing that I'm pointing something out that will help <laughs> that will help people by being aware of it? Uh, and it's like, same thing with Turtle Creek Lane's, uh, you know, the vibrator gate. Truly, fi she, like, it's so, it's so obvious to me. True crime planted a vibrator in her own video. <laughs> Hardly a crime. Honestly, more power to her. I appreciate the ownership. I appreciate the sexual empowerment. Part of the, the reason it was so funny is like, she's a conservative Mormon woman in her fifties. It's like so happy and, uh, like kind of. Uh, she, she has a giant case of I'll have what she's having, which is kind of funny in the context of the vibe. But um, her, her, her entire brand is attention to detail. I call her Edward Craft Scissorhands because I think she's evil and crafty. <laughs> I don't know her, by, by the way. I have nothing against her other than, you know, ignoring a national crisis to shop for multi-million dollar homes. But we're working through that uh, in terms of, you know, how we how we treat that. And I largely just haven't been paying attention or following along. And I think maybe my more near term goal should be like, I don't necessarily like engage actively, but I can like check in if I need to, to like see what's up. Um, just because like, I like to watch people behave that are so fundamentally different than me because it is entertaining and it's just a really confusing um, circle will forever go in of, art versus artist and that separation that I think we've been in this circle, in that cycle forever with celebrities, right? Like 
we still see the movies and pay, uh, you know, for tickets and participate in things that deeply problematic people are a part of. And sometimes, finally, they actually see their day coming, like a freaking Kevin Spacey. But like everywhere I go, I'm like, are we really playing Chris Brown music? Like Kendall Jenner, like uh, for, t t t after your Pepsi commercial, like I'm shocked you thought it would be a good idea to sing in a Chris Brown video. And like, how is that chill? This is what I mean about the flaky jury on at the internet. Like what makes one thing bad or worse? Or like, what? when are we mad and when are we not? And like, it's just interesting what catches on and what doesn't. And it kind of makes it difficult to figure out like, when and how and to what severity, like someone will face consequences, but it's, I guess it's not really up to them. Right. Um, but I just think about this a lot because like, if I'm at a wedding, <laughs> like I, I actually will go kind of hard sometimes and walk up to, you know, a, a local DJ. What was the DJ's name at that Connecticut high school that only sold three tickets to the dance and they said they couldn't grind together that I read in Fisco Girl. No, I read it in Bath and Body Jerks that episode. Oh my God, what was his name? That's going to drive me nuts. DJ Vag. <laughs> I will we'll walk right up to DJ Vag and be like, listen, I get it. I get it. Remix to Ignition is a banger. But we cannot play R. Kelly in this house, under this roof. Well, I attempt to delight and indulge in my friend's milestone. Do you have a Venmo? Because Usher's yeah might not make me loosen the purse strings, but... Uh, Whimsy surprise that will both slightly clear the dance floor, but get the right people there, like a Taylor Swift's new romantics, might make me cough up some cash. And then Greg will come over, and I'll be like, are you trying to tell somebody that they can't play Chris Brown, Michael Jackson, or R. Kelly? And I'm like, yeah. And he'll probably say something like, mm, not the time, not the place. And I'll be like, what are you, a real housewife? And then he'll probably make a reference to, like, um, Alex and Simon, because he really only watched Roni season one, but Roni season one was so good. <laughs> and Greg thinks <laughs> makes me laugh because he thinks he 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 disproportionately overreacted to the fact that they have a kid named Francois, and it just makes me laugh. It, he was furious. It's like that's a ridiculous name for a child, <laughs> and it kind of is. Um, but like, yeah, you know, you got to do your part and reject the media and the things you shouldn't support. But it's like I'm just shocked at how uh, how little it's enforced sometimes with like regular celebrity. Uh, and I think, yeah, there's there is just always going to be a level of being a bit at odds with what we take for entertainment value, uh, what we'll get rid of altogether based on behavior alone, and many instances of major hypocrisy that I witness constantly where people, uh, you know, two influencers do the exact same thing and one is absolutely taken down and the other like barely flinches and maybe I don't they maybe I don't see the other end of DMs and they don't breathe life into it but like it's just I really just think the entire theory that I'm talking about is like if you're already trusted if people already know your attentions that are already kind of like you and like they give you more passes and not that those are always deserved because it is kind of unfair to have the double standard but the reason I bring up that very uh which kind of you turn back to the original topic at hand too um when I think I'm like, uh, you know, some purveyor of justice and explaining to people, do not worry if you cannot grow your Instagram following because these people cheat or because, you know, even though Susie charges people $6,000 to learn how to organically grow an Instagram following through her proprietary formula, 
her proprietary formula is so ineffective that she's not even using it to build her own brand. And she switched her handle and did a bait and switch so she could just already have a ton of followers for her new brand because she knows it is hard to grow an Instagram following. It still feels comfortable charging people and telling them how. It's it's con artistry. It's crazy to me. Um, and then like the the case of Turtle Creek Lane, I'm like, okay, you this woman, like her house is Susical the Musical. Like she... she, uh, she to like get, go to her home and to use the powder room, you'd have to... Uh, you know, past like the 76 uh, porch pumpkins. Well, I guess if we're in Christmas, we'd be entering the gingerbread foyer, going through candy cane lane and ironically sugar-free home. We'd have to pop into the reindeer lounge. She did mention three of her five kids play piano, which is lovely. Uh, I play some heart and soul. Dun, 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 dun. I love to march confidently into a house at a beautiful baby piano and so predictably play heart and soul. The pumpkin spice latte of the basic tickling the ivories. Oh, oh, sorry. What I'm saying is this woman does not miss a beat. Her her life, the devil's in the details and you've got a friend in her. Because everything she does is so, so detailed, so over the top and so ornate. And the shot of the vibrator over her shoulder was just right there and so obvious and planted. And early in the week, she had like, below two 590 some thousand followers and like was losing you know, i looked at blade social because i have a life um and just losing followers because like you don't post about the national crises and you're like shopping for multi-million dollar homes people bounce good for them she's about to transition to from christmas to valentine's day home decor and i swear to god they have an undisclosed deal with walmart why are multi-millionaires swiping up to a counterfeit uh, never full. It's that, that, and, and, to, and to like, uh, a random personal massager. That's like obviously a vibrator, but like also why at a hotel with the, the bulb of the vibe on the plain table of a house you don't own. It was just, the whole thing was, it was just like, <laughs> in my head, I'm like true crime caught red handed. This is, you know, this is, this is planted. And you were trying to get back followers and you were pulling a stunt. And even though I'm kind of impressed by both the topic of it, given how conservative I know you are, but like, I'm glad to see your little fun, but also I'm mad because it's like misleading and, and stupid and ridiculous. And like, do you deserve the 17,000 people that came over just because you pretended that you accidentally left a vibrator in the background? Like that's, that's so misleading. But like, do we care? Celebrities do it all the time. Look at Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles, Olivia. We know that you wouldn't have paint, chipped old nails the the day after this alleged wedding you went to with bright pink nails. You can't get you can't get past us anymore. We're 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 too good at sleuthing, and um, I think it just frustrated me to watch this like a lot of the same type of commentary from people just being like, "I am done with TCL," and then the vibrator happens and it's like, "Oh my God, dead dying R.I.P. Me, I am levitating." I'm spontaneously combusting. I cannot believe she did that. And like, you know, the, people forget so quickly. So I guess like that's what I always am trying to figure out is like, you know, uh, another thing Adrian sent me, I keep referencing her. She sent me so many interesting things lately or sent the group of having um, what this person called. Oh, shoot. I want to give them credit. It was interesting. It was like per, it was the um, importance of establishing like personal policies like just as any sort of um, business or ride or whatever would have something for safety, like all hands 
you know, our arms inside the tram at all times. Oh, this is uh, on yesandyes.org. And it's about personal policies uh, to create a comfortable distance between us and our hard choices. And it's it was a really interesting argument of like, have you ever tried to talk to like a board of directors or something? And they've been like, sorry, it's company policy. There's nothing I can do. Which when you really think about that, it is interesting how policies are enforced by people and arbitrary and technically could be bent. But when you call them policies, they are inflexible and there's almost a perception of not being able to overstep that boundary. And I love that idea for uh, a way to get people to respect your personal policies in a way they won't uh, maybe wouldn't respect or pay attention to your your preferences. Um and I don't know, it's really interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll, I will add the link to the episode notes. Thank you, Adrian, for uh, providing me educational content for <laughs> clearly this entire episode. Um, she's a Facebook mom, by the way. And also, like, I don't, I never remember what I did or didn't cut out of an episode. So when I'm like, oh, I talked about this earlier. And then you're like, no, you didn't. It's because I forget that I cut it out because I hated what I said or something. And I, um, you know. A lot goes on uh, within these recordings that I almost wish I could collect in all the clips and just like make a mashup of all the things that never made it because <laughs> they'd almost work out of context, but I don't have that kind of production staff. <laughs> um, anyway, you guys. Uh, so yeah, I don't really know always the best way to move forward or the hard and fast rules and policies to give you, but I think making our own personal policies within our own boundaries, sensitivities, needs, uh, is, is a great idea. And, um, I think that I feel very lucky to be among a group of peers and women that are so committed to doing better and being better themselves to uplifting women. They may never even meet that they don't know on the internet, just because we have a commonality of community of, um, people's desire to share education and, and advice and, um, I don't know, even just your interest in this conversation, period, and wanting to be women that can, you know, one week uh, really analyze the interaction of me and the guy at the food truck in 2011 beneath an Edison bulb where I pretended to like the Lumineers and pretended that I was impressed that food uh, was moved from a restaurant to a motor vehicle and I waited in line for so long for it and it was cold. But it was about the experience and the ambiance. Like, that is so 2011. I love talking about things that are that stupid. Like, me trying to start an internet campaign to cancel the Papa Sun chair. The shell chair, the turtle chair, the moon chair. The chair that tiny people can curl up in and sleep in. But that people like me end up getting stuck in and can't refill their sun kiss and just chew on their cup and wait for people to ask them personal questions about themselves for a gathering they don't want to be at anyway. Because if they were welcome there, they wouldn't be stuck in the Papa Sun chair. Do you see it? Do you see me um, teeter? Like I keep going back to palate cleanser topics because I, I like need to, <laughs> uh, I, I, I like balance too. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, let's, should we end with driver's license? I mean, what a main character moment we're in right now in, in uh, the TikTok universe. Well, I hate the remixing and point of view videos. Like I swear to God, I saw a video of where somebody was singing from the point of view of the person at the DMV that took Olivia's photo. And I was like, stop the madness. <laughs> it was probably sarcastic, but that's the thing with Gen Z. You can never tell. I also am going to do an episode soon, like of a one year TikTok update. 
because I will never stop patting myself on the back for telling people that uh, they will care. Charlie Julia will matter, and they need to get on board sooner than later. <laughs> it's really the only accurate thing I've ever said, uh, <laughs> prediction-wise. Um, and uh, yeah, all sorts of other fun stuff. The coaching. Uh, did, I, did I say this earlier that I want to do an episode that's about coaching, and I'm still actively crowdsourcing because I want to get a bunch of different ex uh, experiences so subject line boss babe to podcast at be there in five.com DMS. I like they, they are a faucet. They get buried and it's not because I don't want to see them. It's just like they literally become impossible to find because I can't search by like text. I have to search by your name. It's the whole thing. The, the user interface is a nightmare and it makes engagement incredibly hard and I hate it. But um, boss babe podcast to be there at five, be there in five.com. If uh, you a have a scandal, I can fake to, you know, get more followers and podcast listeners so I can keep doing this for a living and to get that FU, you know, duplex money where I can go record in the basement like Jesse and the Rippers. Well, actually more like um, what Rush Hour Renegades because did you hear my computer? Did you hear the vacuum earlier? It's, it, it's, it's, it's utter chaos and I need to get back in the studio so I can actually put episodes up on time. Uh, but fingers crossed if we move with your support, maybe I'll have a few more walls or at least like, I don't know, a floor. I don't need, I don't need, uh, space. I, I, I just want a, a floor plan that is choppy as hell. I'm literally, whatever they want on House Hunters, I went the opposite. I'm like, oh, damn, wall to wall carpet. Look at that sound and insulation. <laughs> I want walls, I want carpet. Uh, I, I'm into dark cabinets nowadays. I really, uh, quarantine has uh, maybe changed my tune with housing. And now I kind of, even if we're allowed to stay, I kind of want to move just for the content adventure, if I'm honest. And some days I don't know if I look forward to a day where I hopefully achieve a level of success where you resent me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, trust me, I said it earlier. There's a real ceiling for my type and I'm okay with it. Uh, I think that there's a middle ground to be had. I don't, the things I want in my life aren't materially unattainable in the sense of like, I would have a Jaclyn Hill like Birkin closet. Like, honestly, I would fly economy plus I'd be generous. I'd DoorDash my life away, move my family here. And like, I don't know, Rachel Parcells dog wash is pretty sick. And I also like want this thing called the uh, appliance garage. And it's just like a big closet in your kitchen where you put your appliances, but I hate how appliances look on count uh, on uh, countertops. So it's like my, that my new Butler's pantry, my new attainable Butler's pantry vibe. That, you know, feels a little more attainable and quaint. The hallmark of telling people you're rich without like really telling people you're rich is doing things like calling very large spaces nooks. Uh, a ballroom does not a nook make. That's like calling somebody's engagement ring like cute or sweet. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, they're, they're, don't condescend your own room in your home. She's better than that. That is that is that is a full dining room, and uh, my utility closet. Honestly, honest to God, the thing that I am dreaming of, I, I think is just a pantry, with some shelves and plugs. <laughs> but to me, it is the lap of luxury. Talk about a rebrand. Uh, pantries are out. Utility closets are in. You heard it here first, and by first I mean a millionth, because I'm incredibly far behind. Because. I just got a KitchenAid stand mixer and used it for the first time at 33 years old. And apparently that was weird. But apparently what's even weirder is that my sister had a spare. And that just goes to show how opposite we are. Oh, also, I'm recording like a career-centric uh, Patreon with Kelly this weekend. 
because there's, you know, uh, stuff going on with her job and her life. And we'll update you and tell you what's going on. Uh, but I think she's such an interesting career story where she decided she wanted to be a teacher when she was 18 and started into this path of education that's quite hard to get out of. And it's crazy how you have to decide what you want to do that young. And then when you want to ultimately pivot out, you have no like support, experience, skill. It's it, like, I don't know. I think it's such a really an interesting story. And people had asked in the Facebook group too about like pivoting out of education. And I just kind of want to talk through both of our career highs and lows because I know a lot of people are having a tough time. Uh, and I genuinely believe in sharing stories of, uh, you know, to be there in five of it all, people that are on their way, not people who can tell you how they got somewhere with the, you know, uh, rosy retrospect that I try to avoid because I don't always find it helpful. Uh, and in my social media court of law, <laughs> I, I just don't want people bullshitting other people for how they got where they are, uh, for, for misleading people about what's attainable, making people feel bad about their bodies or lives or the, the things they have or how good, you know what I mean? Like I just, all I want is for people to feel confident and for people to not compare themselves to other people and for the people that are deliberately doing things that they know are tone deaf or they know are, sh you know, showing off and not sharing. And I don't know. It's like, I do want, I do want justice against a lot of this insufferable influencer behavior, but also well, there are a large reason of why I'm here. Cause we love to chat about him. And I don't know if we'll ever find peace with the, the exact way in which we approach things, but um, regardless of them, I am sure as hell, so lucky to have peers and women like you that uh, are willing to have these obscure conversations. Listen to my computer fan right now and uh, hopefully come back anyway. And I, more than anything in this life, like want it to be cool to be like nice and empathetic. It doesn't mean you lose your edge. It doesn't mean you can be funny, but I, I want the air of like the, Zero fucks, who cares? Your problem, not mine. I was about to say talk to the hand, but, you know, I don't think it's 1994. Um, but you know what I mean? How, like, there's kind of this, there, there's, a room for, there's room for everybody. But I feel like um, throughout my life, I've always just looked at this zero fucks kind of gal and been like, God, I want to be here. I want to be that bold. I want to stand up for myself in that way. And I just watch myself never change. Any <laughs> um, major issue of me not really understanding that the length of my fuse is often contingent upon the reality of something affecting me. And that is something I have to acknowledge the, the luxury of and, and uh, utilize the time and patience it gives me to help other people who have, don't have the choice but to react and respond to the things that might affect them. I, and I know I'm so redundant, but like, I've really been thinking about that a lot lately. It's like, not just my disposition, it's my circumstances that make me able to be more calm, right? Of being able to see multiple sides and walk people through things in perhaps a different way. Um, and in being able to see like the power and importance of, of supporting one another and whether we support one another through the type of world that we vote for with our choices or with, within actual communities, look up the BTI5 hashtag on Peloton. I don't have one. I've never been on one. I don't even know what that means or does, but there is a BTI5 group if you want to join that. There's pen pals. It's all so cool. And like to see you guys mobilize around whatever the hell it is that I've created is something that's truly overwhelming to me. And I don't 
like I'll, I I know I'm so annoying and cheesy sometimes. But like I just I the the reason I have evolved over the past three years, the reason this podcast has worked, despite me being a solo host, is because it's propelled by you, your interest, you filling out question boxes, you emailing me your the crowdsource stories, you DMing me, leaving voicemails, participating in PowerPoint parties. Like there's so many different touch points where I'm so aware of like I feel like most of you. And it's really cool. And like your participation is what keeps us afloat and your trust in me and support for, I feel like such unbelievable freedom and that what you'd accept me talking about. I could get on here and be like, today we're deep diving my two favorite Masons, Mason Charles and Mason Disick. And you'd be like, yes, I've been jonesing for some jar content because <laughs> you guys are that supportive and awesome. And I just always want you to feel that same Thing extended for me however indirect it is because there's only one of me but I, I hope it all balances out in some some way shape or form I, I think I've been trying to have uh, provide you closing thoughts for roughly 36 minutes but um you know as it relates to what's going on in our country and the seriousness of it and the horror of it and the people that are especially affected and triggered and exhausted having to constantly see and witness the the faces of these horrendous people that are usually spared of. And we know they exist, but we, you know, hope that we don't ever see them. We, we hope that we don't put faces to names and horns to motives and disgusting smug faces to podium carrying. And I just, I'm sorry to everybody that has to deal with the widespread discussion of and the ignorance and not opposing the people out there that could potentially hurt you that have exhibited hateful behavior toward you for no reason and bathing in their disgusting privilege and hatred in a way that I hope is only punished to the nth degree as it deserves to be. And I hate that anybody is, is can be made to feel unsafe by these people. Um, even the, the most simple way it was put to me, like my friend that's Jewish uh, texted me when I ended the Teespring deal because I just, uh, I'm so appalled by the, them printing Camp Auschwitz shirts. She was like, thank you for not aligning with a company that supports people that want me to die. And I was like, it is as simple as that. That's like, yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> like, I understand with some things there's a gray area of like how we treat and interpret behaviors from people. And, you know, that's what I muse about all the time. But when it comes to deliberate hate, oppression, white supremacy, criminal behavior, domestic terrorism, like these things aren't negotiable. These things aren't do not need to be tiptoed around. These things are not delicate matters and not like, oh, like, you know, kind of the the bigger scale fears you have, like, oh, like being scared like valid things like we'll go to war i'm scared for our country and like of course that's valid but like no consider the difference of of being broadly scared for what might happen to all of us versus personally scared for yourself that these people could meaningfully impede on people's feelings of personal safety in ways you likely may not be able to understand and i think sometimes when things like it feels so big picture and overwhelming. It is when, despite the circumstances we're in, 
the priority of personal connection is so important in terms of going out of your way to check in, to take care of, and make sure people know they're safe with you. They have an ally in you. And many days, and I, and I probably project this onto people too, depending on the circumstances, you'll be made to feel petty for caring or like we shouldn't invest so much in other people's lives and like, why do we care? Why are we being so intrusive and all of that? But when it really comes down to it, it is not hard and it is the very least a person can do. Whether it's, you know, they support you or you support them in a more direct personal relationship or a, a parasocial one that importantly very much profits off of your interest. In my case, uh, where people's support is what is, uh, you know, fueled and materialized my hopes and dreams, the very least I can do, the very least anyone can do, is make sure that you know that I care about the things that you care about, for the most part, the things that matter, the things that relate to your life, your rights your health and your safety, right? And I don't think it's too much to ask of people or petty or intrusive to hope that the people that you support can at the very least vocally distance themselves and make it incredibly clear that they do not support or endorse and they actively condemn the hateful and horrible people and groups that make you feel unwelcome and like your rights might be at risk. I just don't think that's a lot to ask. And some days I'm just like, why do I like, I, <laughs> I get so like caught up and worked up and I just need to let people live. And like, I need to just live and like, who cares? And like, yeah, we're entitled to feel our ups and downs with our level of devotion to a cause. But just remember, like, it's, you're really not asking much by wanting people that you devote your time and interest into to keep your best interest at heart for the things that really matter as it relates to your physiological needs and rights. That's it. I'll continue to work hard to be as aware as I can and open to your feedback to ensure that I'm creating a, a safe place, a, a soft place to land. And where even if you don't agree with everything I say, which you shouldn't, I, I don't, I, I really, that's not what I want you here for. Uh, I also can't, you know, go rogue and say things like any, you know, not otherwise sentimental episode with a motion to make choppy floor plans happen, but we'll take that on another day. <laughs> uh, may our floor plans be choppy and uh, I suppose our hearts and minds be open concept, but our doors remain closed to the things and the people that do not serve us nor make any reasonable attempt to try. And I want to play a mashup on TikTok you can find on YouTube and the links in, will be in the show notes um, of the song of the year thus far, uh, Driver's License with Kesha's song, Praying. I know people are very partial to the mashup with Getaway Car, but I've I've mashed up a, a, an Antonoff beat or two in my day. And I actually find something about this combination meaningful and, and complicated and the juxtaposition of young, naive love with the processing of real adult trauma all released in the same artistic manner that helps us heal and share our stories. It's 
it's powerful and I love it so much. And, um, you know, I, uh, as I sit here trying to figure out how to close, I'm, I just realized I abandoned the entire concept of my episode <laughs> with Samantha. And now I'm mad I didn't think of a Samantha ending. I'm, I'm out of time. What would Samantha do? WWSD. Who's D? Wouldn't she ask? You know what I mean? Oh, that's so stupid. The only other thing I could think of is like, uh, uh, what was I just thinking of? Uh, why be politically correct when you can be politically erect? I hate everything. I'm sorry. I love you guys. Share with a friend. Rate five stars. I'll talk to you soon. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I'm